0: Well, as part of that, and to follow up on that, I want to introduce our speaker for today. It's Tim Street, and he is our preacher. In January 2008, Gyra Sports, was, it's a ministry to youth in the Martindale Brightwood community, joined forces with Shepherd Community Center. And Tim was executive director of Gyra Sports and is now assistant director at Shepherd Community Center. Prior to being at Gyra Sports, Tim served for seven years as Minister of Urban Outreach for East 91st Street Christian Church. There, he was responsible for developing partnerships and outreach ministries uh, in the inner city communities of Indianapolis. He also served as leader of contemporary services at East 91st Street, and he preached most Sundays at East 91st Street in that role. Tim also has a teaching ministry focusing on issues of uh, racial reconciliation and forgiveness. And I've learned that Tim is recognized as one of the experts in the city of Indianapolis on life in the city and on breaking the cycle of poverty. Uh, Tim received his bachelor's degree from Purdue. He's got some Purdue fans here today. Yeah? Okay. And also his Master of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts. Tim is married to Stacy, and they have two children, Gabriel Allen and Mary Elizabeth, and uh, Tim has an incredibly busy summer, and so we're all thankful that he took time to be with us today. Let's give a big welcome to Tim Street. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is a true pleasure to be here with you today. I, um, as uh, Scott said, I'm Tim Street, I'm the Assistant Director of, uh, of Shepherd uh, in Indianapolis. And At Shepherd, uh, our mission is to work with families uh, on the near east side of Indianapolis with the goal uh, of breaking the cycle of poverty and, uh, and sharing the gospel first and foremost. My primary role with Shepherd, as Scott alluded to, is, uh, is uh, training our staff uh, and volunteers and working with our partner churches. Um, uh, I teach a series of classes on, uh, on poverty, uh, on issues of working in the city. And, uh, and I recently spent uh, this past uh, spring, winter and spring, uh, about eight weeks here uh, working with uh, staff and a couple of uh, session elders and, and others uh, going through uh, Poverty 101. And uh, uh, it, was a really, uh, it was a really nice time. Uh, it was a lot of interaction. Uh, it was neat to have a small group uh, that could do a lot of processing of the information. And, and so it was a real pleasure to be here. Uh, so I thank you for the opportunity to come back. And when Scott asked me... Uh, to come and share with you today, um, he specifically mentioned uh, that he would like me to share some of the things uh, that we talked about in Poverty 101. And uh, Poverty 101 is an eight-week class now that meets for uh, uh, 90 minutes a week. So we're going to be here till about midnight uh, as, as I try to get it all in. Uh, obviously, I'm kidding. I know that there are a lot of fathers who, uh, who hope that their Father's Day present is to uh, spend time watching the U.S. Open today, so I want to make sure I don't, uh, I don't uh, bother that at all. Um, uh, you know, and each week uh, in the classes that I teach, we structure a lot of time uh, for question and answer. I really uh, enjoy the, the question and answer time and the interaction, and, uh, and I try to address each question and let people tell stories and talk, because I think that's how we learn best, uh, but I try to uh, answer uh, every question that gets asked, and sometimes it means that I have to take a little time to think about it uh, and attempt to answer it uh, maybe in the weeks ahead um, and maybe the following week. So as I was thinking about what I could do this morning in just uh, uh, 30 minutes or so, uh, I, I kept coming back to one question that gets asked a lot by volunteers and and by people who are thinking about getting involved uh, in the ministry, or maybe thinking about the issues of poverty and, and ministry in the city, uh, maybe some of them thinking about it for the first time. And that question is can we really make a difference? You know, Is, is our work going to be effectual? I mean, can we really change anything, or are our cities too far gone? Uh, is, are they too deeply embedded in, in sinful patterns? Are uh, you know, sort of the dens of iniquity, uh, are they capable of being redeemed? Um, is poverty too entrenched to really do anything about it? You know, can we make a difference? And my simple answer to the question is, uh, yes, we can. We, we can make a difference. Um, uh, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but uh, I'm not dumb either. And uh, I don't want to spend my life in pursuit of something that can or will never happen. And I don't believe that God has asked me to. So before I get to a deeper answer to that question, can we make a difference, I feel it's necessary to share with you some of the things that God has carried me through in the last 40 or so years to get me to the point where I am today and doing the ministry that I am today. Uh, I've been involved in in full-time ministry uh, in impoverished urban communities now for about 25 years. First, in the city of Boston, in uh, in neighborhoods like Roxbury and Dorchester. Uh, Then a few years, uh, just after seminary, after I got married in Chicago, in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago... And then for the last 17 years, my wife and I have lived and done ministry in the Martindale Brightwood community of Indianapolis. For those of you who don't know where that would be, that would be the area around 25th and Keystone. So sort of the inner ring of, uh, of inner city poor communities. Um, if you know that area know, uh, at all, you'll know that the juvenile court is located right uh, smack dab in the center of our community. And so many of the young men and women that we work with are going to end up going through that at some point in time. Um, and so, uh, uh, and, and you know, my, my journey uh, to get to where I am today is, uh, is a long one. And we don't have uh, time. As a matter of fact, I actually, uh, Scott alluded to the fact that I, I do teaching on racial reconciliation and forgiveness and other things. And do whole week-long retreats. Uh, and the story of, of what God has done and taken me through is, is a very long one. But I'll share some of the highlights um, uh, you know, um, when, I was, uh, when I was a child, my father was a chaplain in the Army, and which meant we moved around a lot. And uh, when I was in middle school, uh, my dad was uh, given the assignment to come to serve at Fort Ben Harrison uh, here in Indianapolis out on the east side. And uh, uh, I remember we had uh, been very excited about the fact that uh, we were living in New York City. We were very excited about the fact that My dad had put in for uh, assignment in Colorado uh, as his number one choice, and then uh, two bases in California as numbers two and three choice. And we had been told, based on his rank and everything, he'd get what he wanted, but instead uh, we got Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Needless to say, that wasn't very exciting to us. I didn't know much about Indy. Uh, And uh, this was 1974, and I remember one of the first things uh, Dad did when we moved here um, was put us all in the wood panel station wagon and drive to, the, you know, to, to see Indianapolis, and we ended up on the Circle. And I, I don't know how many of you remember what the Circle downtown looked like in 1974, but it wasn't exactly an attractive place. There was nobody walking on the street. There was trash everywhere. Uh, what is now known as the Hilbert Circle Theater, where the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra plays, was, a, uh, was an adult movie house. And, uh, and I just remember thinking, this is the ugliest city I've ever seen. And I can't wait to get out of here. And I'll, and when, when I do, when I put my two or three years in, you know, I will uh, never come back to this city again. Uh, uh, my friend always says, uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually this would become my home and, and would move back here after, as an adult after 10 years away, believing I was called to Indianapolis. And, uh, and we spent a few years here, and, and some of you remember, may remember the blizzard of '78 and the winter of '78, and and uh, what a snowy winter that was. Well, one night in '78, my father and I, we lived in uh, it was the first place, Indianapolis, first time I ever lived off an army base, and uh, and uh, we lived in a small in a house out in a little town called Oaklandon, which back then was was a little town, and uh, and one night uh, my father and I were out shoveling snow in our driveway, taking turns. Sh- talking, and I heard a voice uh, behind me, and the voice said, don't move and nobody get hurt. And I turned around, and there were two men standing there, and one of them had a gun. And my dad said, what's going on here? And the gun went off. And I saw my father stumble backwards into the driveway, and the man with the gun stuck it in my face and demanded my wallet, which I rarely carried but happened to have, and I handed it to him and it had exactly one dollar in it. Uh, the man ran, ran off and and I went over to my father, and I could tell he was hurt. But uh, this guy had come back from Vietnam with eleven pieces of shrapnel, hadn't been hit with eleven pieces of shrapnel. And I remember thinking one bullet wasn't going to kill this guy. And uh, I was ra- I was rushed off to the police station. He was rushed off to the hospital. And when I came back to the home the next morning uh, with uh, my two neighbors, uh, the men on either side who went with me, uh, I fully expected you know my mother to say you know well Dad's going to be in the hospital for a while, but he's going to be okay. But in, Instead, my sister was standing there and she threw her arms around my neck and whispered in my ear, dad's dead. She you not imagine, my whole world came crashing down around me and, uh, and, and went through some very difficult times. But I know uh, that I survived those years and many others uh, through the prayers of thousands of people who were holding us up uh, in prayer. And, and, uh, and, and the next, you know, 20 to 30 years is is the journey that we talk about when, we talk, when I get to share about forgiveness and things and uh, to make a long story short, God used that event and so many others to lead me to a ministry uh, among the poor, and specifically to a ministry uh, of racial reconciliation within the African American community. That the, the three men involved that night were African Americans, and and, um, uh, and and after college, where I ignored God for a while, I did some traveling and. Recommitted my life to the Lord, and uh, and eventually went to seminary in Boston, as Scott mentioned at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and then uh, and then Chicago. and 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 while there, God began to give me a heart for the city, as uh, uh, as He had me doing a lot of things in the city. and And then, when Chicago, God began to give me a heart for racial reconciliation, as we were involved in a ministry there that was, was focused heavily in an intentionally mixed race church. and uh, and I came to believe in the issue of forgiveness and how important it was uh, in all relationships, uh, in marriages, in, in friendships, and but particularly in racial reconciliation. And, and eventually God led me to the prison uh, to meet the men who killed my dad and express my forgiveness. One of them, who was the driver of the car that night, uh, actually uh, got out of prison after serving for 20 years and uh, And is a very dear friend of mine and actually worked for the ministry for a few years, having committed his life to the Lord in prison. And so I have seen uh, and become very familiar, uh, to put it simply, with the redemptive power uh, of the Holy Spirit and what God can do uh, in a life. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of my family. Uh, I've seen it in the lives of the men who killed my father. And, uh, and now I'm beginning to see it, fortunately, in entire communities and in neighborhoods. As I see neighborhoods transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so back to the question of the morning, uh, what can we do? Can we really make a difference? Well, the answer is that God can. Uh, God can do all things. And that he uses us to get it done. We have the great pleasure of being used by him to get it done. And so the scripture that I like to point to in answering the question comes out of Genesis. Uh, uh, the, the reference is there in, in, in your, your, uh, your handout. But it's Genesis 18, 20 to 33. And I want to read the whole thing. I'm a big fan of reading long passages of Scripture. I'm a big fan of reading Scripture from beginning to end. Uh, and I think you know when we only focus on a couple of verses and, and don't see the big themes, we miss out on a lot. And so, so bear with me. This is a long passage, but I want to read the whole thing. This is Genesis eighteen twenty to thirty three, and you may recognize this is around the time that God is uh, is promising the covenant to Abraham and establishing the covenant and uh, and establishing his relationship with Abraham and eventually his descendants. And um, and uh, so Genesis eighteen twenty to thirty three. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, Abraham spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This happens to be one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, for lots of reasons. Um, One, I think it's probably the single boldest act you will really ever see on the part of a human being. You know, we get to see here a little bit of a glimpse into why Abraham is called the friend of God. And, and Abraham is obviously very comfortable with this relationship, you know, that he would speak to God in this way. God has announced what he's going to do. And when Abraham hears it, uh, Abraham is so bold as to actually question God, you know, and, and actually call God out on his, his own behavior. And when he says, well, not the, uh, the judge of all the earth do right. I mean, in Abraham's mind, God's about to do something wrong, and he points it out. I mean, how many of us would be bold enough to do that? You know, and we see from God's response to Abraham, you know, that he listens. And, uh, and he says, you know, uh, okay, for, for 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. But then Abraham takes it one step farther and starts negotiating his way down from 50. Gets him all the way down to 10. I, I can only imagine. I mean, you're the creator of the universe. And you're listening to this guy negotiate. Okay, I already said 50. You leave it there, you know. Um, but God doesn't, he, he, he actually agrees and he goes all the way down to 10. Um, and, and, and the answer, you know, and it may seem like, you know, this is an odd passage to answer the question, can we really make a difference? But, um, uh, and so it may not seem obvious, but, but to me it's, it's patently obvious. Uh, But before I get there, I need to tell you a quick story, um, I tend to tell a lot of stories, as the people who took Poverty 101 can attest, and I tend to say a real quick story a lot, so uh, a a quick story. (laughs) Um, uh, About 10 uh, years ago, or so, a little more than 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I started publicly sharing my testimony and the things that God had done in my life, uh, really for the first time, and I had kind of held it close to the vest most of my life, as a matter of fact, I remember I had a roommate in college. We roomed together three years. And uh, we were on spring break our senior year together. And I told him the story about my dad's death. And he'd never heard it. You know, so I, I tended to play that very close to the vest. Because I didn't want people to pity me or anything else. But, but God uh, convicted me of that and gave me opportunities to begin to share. And, and so I, I became convinced that God wanted me to share the story a lot. And so I'd sort of made this deal with God. Anytime you open the door, I'll go ahead and step in and share the story. And so in the summer of 2001... Uh, I got a call from the 700 Club. Those of you who don't know what the 700 Club is, it's a TV show with Pat Robertson as the host. And, and, uh, and they said they were doing a series of stories on forgiveness. And they'd heard about my story and they wanted to know that if, uh, if I would be willing to be interviewed uh, for a series of stories on forgiveness. And I said, sure. Well, a couple of months passed by and I didn't hear any more from them, which, you know, based on my interaction with the media, is not uncommon. Um, and then, you know, the fall of that year comes, and, and 9-11 happens, okay? And uh, as you can imagine, pretty much all of the, the nation's attention, as you, many of you remember, all of the nation's attention was focused on that event and the things surrounding that event, and so I didn't hear from them for a, a long time. But something happened on the 700 Club uh, a couple of nights after uh, 9-11, and, uh, and I didn't see it, uh, it wasn't a show I regularly watch, but, uh, but I remember hearing about it. So I went online, and I read the script of, of what it said. And, and uh, Pat Robertson was on, and his guest that night was Jerry Falwell. And uh, some of you may remember this, but uh, he was talking about to, to Falwell and some of the things that were going on at Liberty University and Thomas Road Baptist Church, where he pastors. And then they started talking about the events, and Jerry Falwell, and then Robertson agreed, went on to suggest that his interpretation of 9-11 was that God had removed his blessing from us as a nation. And we had enjoyed, as he, he, as he said, we have enjoyed God's blessing for 225 years. And, and this is a clear sign that God has removed his blessing from us. And, uh, you know, and then he went on to articulate why he believed God had removed his blessing. And then he began to name certain groups in our society that were the cause of God removing his blessing. And he, went, he mentioned the homosexuals and the abortionists and several others. And, and, uh, and I just remember reading it and, and feeling very sick to my stomach because it was, it was very inconsistent with what I believe God had begun to reveal to me through his scriptures and, and through his redemptive work in my life and in the work of communities and where I was serving. And, uh, and, and, and I got a call then a couple of months after that from the producer, and she said, you know, obviously we've been focusing on 9-11 and it's time to move on and, and we want to do some series of, uh, of forgiveness again and we wondered if you'd be willing to, 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 to be interviewed again. And, and, and I just felt, you know, very disturbed and I said, well, I'm going to have to pray about it. And I began to pray, God, uh, you know, I don't know if I really want to go on and, you know, on, on to a show and like that and... and uh, and, and, and I started praying really, really hard about it. And God began to reveal certain things to me. And one of the passages uh, that he shared with me was the passage uh, that I just read for you. Um, and, and another one uh, that came to mind, that he brought to my mind, was 2 Chronicles 7.14. That's, that's a passage probably some of you have memorized. Uh, and one of the most familiar from the Old Testament, uh, uh, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land and uh, and I believe these passages that God shared with me at the time and so many others give us an answer to our question can we make a difference and the answer is clearly yes you know, you could easily make an argument, and I think lots of people do. You could easily make an argument. Um, and I think you'd be perfectly justified in saying that Sodom was destroyed because of the presence of sin. And you might even go on to name a particular type of sin. But I think you would be just as accurate, just as biblical, and even more relevant to us within the church uh, if you said that Sodom was clearly destroyed because of a lack of righteousness. Because of a lack of righteous people there. Now think about it. God says he'll spare the city if he can find ten righteous men. And since we know that God destroys it, we know that he did not find ten righteous men within the city of Sodom. Ten righteous men would have saved the city of Sodom and the lives of all of those people. I've come to believe that the health of a place, the health of a neighborhood, the health of a community... Or a city is not dependent on our ability to stamp out sin. Uh, that's never going to happen this side of heaven. And if we keep our focus on doing that, on on, on putting down those you know, that, that we see who are sinning and trying to get rid of them, you know we're going to lose our focus on what God is calling us to do. I believe the health of a place, the health of a, a neighborhood, the health of a, a city or a community is directly dependent upon whether or not there are righteous people that are, there, that are seeking God's face, uh, praying for it, and sharing God's love with everything, everyone that they come into contact with. Proverbs 11.10 says, When the righteous prosper, a city rejoices. Uh, and so when, uh, when, I, when this uh, young lady from 700 Club called back, I shared with her these passages, and, and I shared with her my fundamental belief that the focus of what was said that night was wrong. And, um, and, 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 and the interesting thing is, is that she said, well, you know, actually I wrote her a long, a long letter and shared all of this with her and, 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 and declined to come on the show. And the interesting thing was she sent me a nice long letter back, and she said, if it means anything to you... Um, there's an awful lot of people, just about everybody on the staff here feels the same way you do. And, I, and so I said, well, why, why do you work there? And she said, because we get to see the good things that this ministry does that you don't get to see. And so I got, and I, I ended up going on on the show and being interviewed, and God did, in fact open up and provide me with lots of opportunities following that show to, to share about forgiveness and, and the work that done in my life and, and to sit down with people and, and to help them through it in their own lives. And I heard amazing stories of, of God uh, doing a healing work in the lives of people. You know? And so I was really glad that I went on. But I, but I, I look back on that time in my life and I appreciate it because I believe that God began to reveal to me the answer to the question that we can make a difference he uses us to make a difference, and it's because of righteous people present in the place, pleasant in a, in a suburb, in a city, in a neighborhood, uh, that are sharing in, in, you know, in a foreign country, in other parts of the world, that are sharing God's love and, and caring for people. And in other words, they're doing what Second Chronicles has said. they're seeking God's face and they're praying and they're repenting of their sins, and they're praying for the place where God has put them. And when God hears that prayer, as He promised to the, to the Israelites, He says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. What does it look like today when God's people seek His face and pray for their land? Well, I just want to share a couple of stories about some friends of mine Jeff and Sue Pancrats, a young couple with young children who felt called to the city, felt called. To move into the neighborhood just a little bit to the west of mine. A neighborhood that at the time was called Dodge City. It was called Dodge City because the stories is where you had to dodge the bullets as you drove through. Um, and, uh, and they along with some other folks. And we had the pleasure to be there and watch it happen. Were at a conference called the Christian Community Development Association Conference. And they began to develop a vision for educating kids in the neighborhood. The result of their vision is a school called the Oaks Academy, which is ministering and caring for the poor, pursuing racial reconciliation, uh, educating kids through classical Christian education, kids from every background, every ethnic group, every socioeconomic group, bringing them together in a beautiful, beautiful picture. And one of the few pictures we get to see in Indianapolis of uh, of a reflection of what the kingdom of God is going to look like with people from every shape and size and ethnic background, every color, of the rainbow, coming together to, to, uh, uh, to educate little children, to, to care about a community, and to hear these little kids who are growing up in the city uh, catch on a vision for, uh, for, for caring for the city and loving the city and be, being called Oaks of Righteousness, from Isaiah, where the, the name of the school comes from, and rebuilding the ancient ruins and restoring the ancient cities. It's... it's uh, when, when, peop, when God's people care for the place that they are and they pray for God to heal that land, uh, things happen like, my friends, Frank and Dory Morton. Frank and Dory Morton, uh, an upper middle class couple uh, living in a very, very nice neighborhood in Carmel who began to pray about where God would want them and they ended up at Shepherd and, and over the course of five or six years took small steps towards being more and more involved in the ministry and then last year moved Uh, into a house on LaSalle Avenue. And, And they are part of a covenant community of people who are deliberately moving to that neighborhood and deliberately establishing relationships with families that come out of our ministry and some other ministries and living together in covenant community in that, in that neighborhood. And, and it's amazing what's happening in that neighborhood as people are seeing them live their lives together, poor and rich and, and everything in between and, and literally knocking on the door to get in. How do I become part of this community? And they're healing that neighborhood. Uh, it looks like my friends, and they. I asked them if I could share the story, but they didn't want me to use their names. Uh, it looks like my friends who uh, live in a very nice suburban uh, subdivision and began to pray years ago about, you know, where God would have them go and about moving to the city, and God said, nope, that's not for you. Instead, I want you to focus on your neighborhood, and they began to very systematically identify other Christians in the neighborhood and to systematically pray for the non-believers in their neighborhood. And in their very relatively small neighborhood, there are three house churches that have grown up in that neighborhood alone. And there are non-Christians who are attending those house churches. And that neighborhood is being transformed through their work, where they are, and God's healing their land because they've prayed for it and they've cared. It's like my friend Keith O'Dell who a few years ago had an opportunity to go on one of these missions trips. Keith loves worms, okay? He loves worms. He's the, one of the strangest guys I know. He loves worms. And, and, but you know what? Now he is working with missionaries in, in Africa to help people develop subsistence farming and to do composting through using worms and other things to enrich the soil, in their neighborhoods to enrich the soil in their little villages through worm composting because the soil uh, doesn't really grow good crops there. And through, through, you know, using food scraps and other things and worms, they're actually enriching the soil and he's helping people develop sustainable farming right in their, their own backyards and in their neighborhoods. Uh, he took his passion and he said, God, how can I use this? And God used him. And he prays for that place and goes back every year. You know, and these... These are not remarkable people. I mean, you might think they are, but none of them would would see themselves as remarkable. If they were sitting here, you, you wouldn't tell the difference between them and anybody in this room. Uh, they're just like me, they're just like you. They're people who God gave a passion for a place and they began to pray for that place. And God began to show them how they might be able to be used. And they began to change and God began to change their surroundings through their prayers and the prayers of people who came around them. Can we really make a difference? Well, God can. And he uses us. We get the incredible pleasure to be used by him to to accomplish what his task is, what his, his goal is, his mission is. We get to be used by him to heal the land. We can make a difference. God can make a difference through me, through you, through all these people I mentioned, through everybody in this room. Let me close in prayer. Precious Father, I thank you for uh, this wonderful group of people this church uh, that has meant so much uh, to this area of the city and so much to the city and to to other, you know to, to ministries all around the globe uh, uh, throughout the history of this church. I, I ask you to bless this church bless the uh, the kids and the leaders in Mexico bless the upcoming trips including the one uh, to Shepherd this summer and the local one to Kentucky. Father, I just pray that you will reveal yourself through those trips and through the things that you're doing and, and, uh, and, and that you know, we will pray for those places. And as you promise, God, you will hear our prayer and you will heal the land. Father, we love you and we thank you for the great pleasure that we have in being used by you to accomplish your task. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.